0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. We're committed to sparking important conversations about money and inspiring you to always be in the financial front seat. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey everybody, welcome to Her Money and a special back to school edition of the Her Money Mailbag. I know, I always feel like and I used this, actually, as the headline for our newsletter last week. But my favorite back-to-school quote is from the movie You've Got Mail, mm-hmm. where Tom Hanks says that he would bring Meg Ryan a bouquet of sharpened pencils.
0: I just watched that movie on my way to London recently. Isn't it the best? It's a classic. Yeah. Yeah, And it inspired me. I went to the Notting Hill Bookstore. Uh-huh. Thanks to Catherine on our team, she recommended that I go. And I purchased Pride and Prejudice. Is that the book that they... They went back and mm-hmm. forth on. So I'm going to read that. I don't think I've ever read that. Oh, it's a, it's a pretty
1: amazing book. And once you read it, then you should go through and you should watch all the different movie BBC mm-hmm. adaptations. Ooh. The last thing that I watched on a plane was actually *Pride and Prejudice*. I watched the Kira Knightley yes. version. I saw the. I did
0: my research and I saw that that one was really good.
1: Although I do have to say, Colin Firth is my favorite Mister Darcy. Colin there are, Firth.
0: There are multiple. There are many. There are many. How was your summer vacation? Oh, it was fantastic. It was my first time in London, and I'm obsessed. And I'm not surprised. Everyone told me I would be. New York City, which I'm also in love with, was basically inspired by London, and it's such a beautiful city. I took my team's advice to just walk around the entire time, and that's what I did. So I'm definitely due for multiple trips to like actually go into everything. I basically just saw it by foot. But I also had some incredible food, and Ooh. I was a, I had the stereotype in my mind that London's food scene wasn't that good, but I had a few phenomenal meals. fantastic. I ate well, I saw beautiful things, great time. By the
1: way, for those of you who haven't met us before, I am talking with Kelly Haltgren, who is the producer of the Her Money podcast. And every once in a while, we take the time to Go through our mailbox, Mm -hmm. which is overflowing, thanks in part to all the great questions that we're getting from our private Facebook community, the Her Money Facebook group. So if you haven't joined the Her Money Facebook group, you are really missing something. We've got so many amazing, thousands Mm -hmm. of amazing women who are in this group every day giving each other non-judgmental
0: advice, which I know we're both, like, raising yes. our hands. Hey, cheers to that. That's Very the best exciting. Part. I love logging in, seeing someone ask a question, or just vent or say anything. And more often than not, each post is flooded with comments and advice and encouragement. It's an awesome community. Yeah. So thanks to everybody who
1: has joined. And if you haven't, um, we would love to have you. So what do we have? Yes,
0: let's do a few from the mailbag first. We will do one from Jen. Hey, Jean and Kelly, love the podcast and the variety of guests you've had on lately. Question, I've been really intrigued by the idea of investing outside of my IRA and 401k for fun. I've looked into services like Robinhood and Betterment. I'm already contributing 15% to my 401k and $100 per month to a Roth IRA. Should I focus on maxing out the Roth contribution? before taking my chance on investing outside of my retirement accounts. I essentially just want to watch this money grow and see where it gets me down the line. But I also want to play a much more active part in researching and selecting the investments, which I feel like has been limited with my retirement investment options. So...
1: I don't understand why this has to be an either-or proposition. <laughs> and here's here's my logic on this. First of all, I love what you're doing so far. I love that you are not only putting so much money into your work-based retirement plan, but contributing what sounds like automatically mm-hmm. the $100 a month to the Roth. I would say contribute a little more to the Roth and just segregate a portion of that Roth for investments that you want to research and play a more active role in yourself. Many people, I find, don't understand that there are two components to every investment account. There is the account itself, which is the bucket. Then there are the investments, which are the things that you put in the bucket. And when it comes to an account like an IRA or a Roth IRA, which you can open at so many different places and choose to fund basically with anything, pretty much You can maintain the tax advantages that you get from a Roth IRA, which is that you're putting in money you've already paid taxes on. It grows forever tax-free. You never have to pull the money out. You can pass it down to your kids You can also get at the money if you want to for education or to buy a home. There's no reason for you to not have those advantages with this smaller discretionary pool of money that you are trying to grow. So I'd figure out what you're looking to invest in. You may want to look at getting into an investment club, which is typically a group of people that pool assets and invest, and you get ideas for where to put that money, or just start doing some research on your own and make a purchase and see how it goes. But
0: kudos. I, I love the question mm-hmm. and, um, and I think you're headed in a great direction. Yes, me too. And we'll do one from Carly. I was reviewing my mortgage payment and noticed that the majority of the payment was going toward interest instead of principal. Should I apply the majority of my payment to the principal instead? I've heard different things on this. It makes sense to me to apply more to the principal, but my husband and I disagree on this. What are the pros and cons to applying more of the payment to the principal versus the interest? Right now, now it's a 30-year loan, but we're hoping to pay it off faster once our student loans are paid off.
1: Carly, you usually do not have a choice. No, I know, I know. The way that mortgages are set up, if you go to, and I would encourage pretty much anybody to do this, if you go to a mortgage calculator and you type in the details, here's, I have a $300,000 loan and this is my interest rate and this is my payment and then click on the amortization schedule. And what you'll see is the 30 years of your loan spelled out for you numerically. And you'll see that the interest on a mortgage is front-loaded. And so you are paying more interest on that loan in the early years of a mortgage. And as you have paid more against that loan the interest starts to taper off and the principal starts to rack up but this is how banks mm-hmm. and lenders assure themselves that they are going to get their money yep. and so it's not up to you in most <laughs> cases. I, I wish I wish that it was. Um, but the risk to the lender, if they were to allow you to make all your principal payments and get the equity up front, is that you'll just sell and then get rid of the loan and mm-hmm. get out from under it, and they won't make any money. What you can do if you're looking to get out of that loan sooner is make additional principal payments. And if you decide that you're going to do that, we like to compare the return that you're getting on making that additional principal payment, which is equal to the interest rate on the loan, to what else your money could do for you. And so mortgage rates are going up, which makes the return on Paying additional principal greater, but if you're not doing things like putting all the money that you can into your retirement account to capture those matching dollars or paying off high interest rate credit card debt, the return on your money for doing those things is going to be greater. And finally, if you are looking for just like one little nugget to hold on to here, if you are in a 30 year loan and you make one extra premium payment every single year, and you should note on your check, this is an additional. You make one
0: extra principal payment. Have I been saying premium this whole time? No, you said principal. Okay. The fact that you retain all of this information is mind-boggling to me. No,
1: I've been doing this a long time. Yeah, so if you you
0: fumble one premium principal, I don't (laughs) think anyone's going to raise any flags.
1: No, but I've had had a lot of mortgages. So anyway, (laughs) if you make one extra payment to principal every year, it basically converts a 30-year mortgage
0: to a 24-year one. Just one extra payment a year? One a year. Wow. Okay. Well, I had three things I was thinking. One, how do you retain all of this? Two, I'm thinking of student loans in this way too, because it's the same concept for mm-hmm. interest versus principal. Does, can we apply the same logic? I don't know about if we can quantify it, but can we apply the same logic to our student loans as well? If you make additional, if you payments, make additional payments to principal?
1: I, I think so. Yeah. Right? I haven't kind of run that calculation mentality. but yeah. I think I think that you can. And in terms of people who try to get out of their student loans early, mm-hmm. the calculation that you should be doing is the same. Are you often we put so much pressure on ourselves to get out of those student loans, A S A P and we forego things like putting money in the
0: retirement account when the retirement account is the better return on right. your money. Okay, yeah, I mentioned I thought of it cuz she has student loans as well. And if anything, number 3 Carly, now your husband and you have one less thing to disagree on. We will do one from Laura. What is the advantage of putting our home in a trust in case me or my spouse needs to go into a nursing home?
1: Oh, trust questions are really really complicated, but let me just make a couple of assumptions here. I I'm a I'm going to assume that you're talking about a revocable trust, which means a trust where you're doing this basically to make things easier from an administrative point of view, not a tax point of view. If you put your home into an irrevocable trust, you are getting it out of your estate for estate planning purposes. People might have done that years ago for tax reasons. Very, 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 very wealthy people might still do it for tax reasons. My assumption here is that you're not talking about doing it for tax reasons. You're talking about doing it for Incapacity reasons. If you or your husband had to go into a nursing home and there was a trustee who was already in place to manage this asset, then it could be managed. Or if one of you had to go in the nursing home, another one had already died, it would allow a person to take care of the disposition of this house, to sell the house without waiting to have to go through probate. So it's something that you could do for that reason. It is not going to save you, um, again, it's not something that you would do to try to save a lot of money on estate taxes unless you have a huge amount, double-digit million-dollar wealth from both of you. The last thing that I do want to say, and we will come back to this topic, when we're talking about revocable trusts, we're talking about something called a living trust. And a living trust is something that um, people get in addition to a will. And the reason they get it is because if you put assets into a a living trust, they don't have to go through probate, which means they can pass along to the heirs much quicker and without a lot of hassle. It means they're private. So if you are a public person for whatever reason, or you don't want people to know what you've got after you die, wills are public documents and revocable trusts are not. So it can keep your affairs private. And for a long time, I really did not like them. I thought that they were very expensive things that were sold at chicken dinners in florida. <laughs> and 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 that's true. You know, when I was first reporting at Smart Money magazine, you didn't need to buy these things unless you had serious privacy concerns or serious probate concerns. That's not so true anymore now, The cost of a living trust or a revocable trust is not so much more than having an estate plan drawn up for many people. And so I'm doing some work in this area to figure out a little bit more, and I will get back to you on that.
0: Great. Thank you for writing in.
1: Oh, Let's play I'll Ask Kelly a Question. Oh, fun. But before we do that, we're gonna see what you've learned, Grasshopper. Um, Before (laughs) we do that, let me just remind everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. No matter what stage of life you're in or whether you're single, married, or divorced, it is vital for all women to be actively engaged in their finances and investments before it becomes a necessity. That means knowing what you own, knowing what you owe, knowing what your goals are, and having a financial checkup at least once a year. That's being in your financial front seat, and you can learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Kelly and I are taking your questions in our mailbag today. So Chrissy wrote into our Her Money Facebook group. She did get a lot of comments from people, but she wants to know, is it better to save up an emergency fund or pay down debt first. Ooh. And it, if you if you don't know, I will take it, but but I think you probably
0: know. You can do both at the same time. <laughs> That's right. Woohoo! That would have been so bad if I didn't get that right. You can do both at the same time. Similar to the priorities we were talking about earlier and looking at the return of your money, I think you have to find what's workable for you. And the first goal should be around $2,000 to have in your emergency savings and however much you can allocate per month for that while at least making the minimum payment on your credit card debt, if not more. And it becomes an even longer answer if you have multiple cards or different amounts of debt with different interest rates, but the answer is both. You you can do both at the same time and you should do both at the same time so that you can avoid furthering your debt.
1: Yeah, that $2,000. You hear a lot of financial experts talking about you have to have a three to six month emergency cushion. And it's ideal if you can get there. But that $2,000 that Kelly was talking about, even $1,000, is your insurance against going into credit card debt if you have a medical bill that comes out of nowhere or something happens to the car or something happens to your house mm-hmm. and you have to fix it it's that is your high interest rate credit card debt insurance and once you've got that i would focus on paying down the high interest rate debt and then going back and building up the emergency fund yep let's see what else do we have let's in the group see.
0: Let's do one from Kim. She writes, I have a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old, neither of whom are much interested in college. Instead of continuing to pour money into a 529 that may never be used by them, what's the best option to continue putting away money that we can access or something else in case college is a dead end?
1: I think that Roth IRAs are always a really good alternative to 529s. Not only can you always get at your contributions. Um, But they have very much the same tax treatment. You're putting in money that has already been taxed. It's growing tax-free. When you pull it out, you don't pay additional taxes as long as you are in retirement age. But there is a provision that you can use it for education after the money's been in there five years. Before five years, you can get it your contributions. So it's not like you wouldn't be able to get at some of the money for your kids, particularly if you've already got money in 529s and, and you need money for the later couple of years. And I think this is something that we should all be thinking about before we just stuff money into 529s mm-hmm. without thinking about who our children are and what they're going to want to do. The nice thing about 529 assets, though, is that there is no age limit on using them, and you can use them for any member of the family. So my dad didn't go to college till 26 when he got home, and he was out of the Army, and he wasn't ready for it until then, but that's how his life worked out. I think that these days... Kids are taking their own path to their own futures, and many will come back and go to some sort of curriculum or course for which these assets will be just fine down the road. It's just a matter of how you want to see it. But I love the question. I think it's a really interesting one and not one that we've gotten before Let's take one more Mm -hmm. as we wrap this up. This one is from Katie. I'll read it, and and we can both weigh in. Katie writes, this is both a money-slash-health question. Do any of you own at-home fitness equipment? And if so, do you think it was worth the investment? I have wanted to get a treadmill for a long time, and I have my reasons for not
0: wanting to go to a gym. They're also a fairly steep price. What do you think? They can be. So I currently do not own any fitness equipment in my apartment because there's no room but if i did have the room i probably would purchase a treadmill probably i grew up with one and it is a convenient way to make sure you are getting in your steps or some physical activity when life gets a little crazy and maybe scheduling those workouts or affording those workouts because I depending on where you live, gym memberships and the fancy classes or any classes, they could add up more overall over the course of the life of the treadmill than the treadmill is worth or the, the device is worth. What about Eugene?
1: I, I have a treadmill mm-hmm. and I have a peloton bike yep. and I have definitely amortized my treadmill. Like, no question, it has more than paid for itself. I don't belong to a gym. Mm -hmm. I go running outside when the weather is good, and I go running inside when the weather is not so good. I think it's important to ask yourself, though, before you invest in any sort of equipment. What do I have to do to set myself up to succeed? Mm. So for me, I knew with the treadmill that I had to have a television in front of it and that it had to have cable or mm-hmm. Netflix or whatever it was to allow me to get on it and stay on it for a good half hour. And that was just part of the cost. Yeah. The other thing I, I want to say is it's very possible to buy high quality exercise equipment secondhand. I no longer have an elliptical because I decided I didn't really like the elliptical. Mm -hmm. But I did buy an elliptical through a local Facebook group for $200. And it was a really really good elliptical. And then when I decided I just wasn't
0: using it, I sold it for about the same amount. So there's good stuff out there. Yeah. So I would do price per use and Mm -hmm. price per visit. That's what I do right now to rationalize my gym membership. And it also motivates me to go every month because I price it out. Okay, if I went to the gym five times this month, each visit cost me X amount of money. And same goes with a device you're about to purchase. The sticker shop might be worthy of the shock, but price it out for the length of use and how often you think you're going to use it. And it's such an amazing benefit for your health. It's hard to quantify something that's really good for you, too. No question.
1: Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Kelly. That was fun. That was fun. Thank you. Sure. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. If you like what you hear, please recommend us to your friends. Subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week. We'll be back with another great guest. We'll talk soon.